all stand this morning as we worship together. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope, no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my
public speaker, but just bear with me. Ever since last week, the pastor said Psalm 23. This has been on me. It's eat me alive all week. Psalm 23. We've all know it. Most of us know it by heart. But have you broke it down? Have you really broke it down? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. What does that mean to you? What does it mean to you? I'll tell you what it means to me. It woke me up. If the Lord is truly your God, as truly your shepherd is guiding you, you don't need a thing, not a thing but him. That's what it's telling us right there. We don't need a thing. Verse 2 and verse 3. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me by quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. If you walk with the Lord, your soul is going to be calm. You're going to look at a green pasture, and he makes you lie down. Not that you want to lie down. He makes you lie down because your soul is so calm. Besides still waters. Have you ever been on the lake or the creek and the water's been so still and it's been so peaceful? Just peaceful to your soul. That's what God wants for us, to have a peaceful soul. If we walk with God, we'll have that peaceful soul. No matter what's going on around us, no matter what's happening, we'll have that peaceful soul with us. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. If we walk with God in everything that we do, and I'm including me in this, guys. I'm not just talking about y'all and anything. I'm including me. God's going to lead us down the right path, but we got to talk to him. we got to be with him. we got to have him with us at every minute, of every moment, of every day. He's going to guide us. And he's going to give us what we need. Even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I will fear no evil. Even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I will fear no evil. You know, if we were God and we got that peace in our soul and we're calm as we can be, it don't matter what we're walking through. God's going to protect us. We're going to be peaceful. We're going to be all right going through it. Do you understand that? Do you understand what God is going to do for you? But you got to know that you're walking with him. you got to be with him. For your rod and your staff will comfort me. He's going to protect us. Guys, understand, 
He's going to lead us. He's going he's to protect us. His rod and his staff. He don't need a rod. He don't need a staff. That's for us. The only thing he needs is his word. You know, he, he speaks out and says, tells the ocean to be still, the sea to be still, and the sea just comes right down. He don't need a rod or staff. That's for us to know that he's, he's got us because we relate things to strength. But he don't think he has to do is speak. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. Guys, we can go eat with our enemies and be just fine. He can prepare food in front of us, in front of him. You know who's jealous? The enemy's jealous. You know why they're jealous? Because they don't have the peace and the quiet that we have in our soul, knowing who we are and who our Savior is. They're the one that's jealous. They're the one that's tore up, not us. We can go sit with our enemies and eat and have all the peace in the world that we need because we are the ones that have the Lord Savior on our side, and he's with us at all times. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Three things. If you walk with the Lord, you're going to be, just like Kenny said a few minutes ago, when he goes to school and he sees Andrew and everybody else, your cup's going to overflow. But you got to walk with the Lord to know that your cup's overflowing. you got to be with God. You got to pray to him. You got to talk to him. He just wants that relationship with us. You got to know that he's there. You got to be with him. And the house of the Lord, where is the house of the Lord? Where is the house of the Lord? Do you know where the house of the Lord is? I know where it's at. It ain't this building. It ain't on the corner of Highway 70 in Eichert, North Carolina. It's not downtown Hickory, the biggest church of God. It's not in Morgan. It's not where. It's right here. It's the house of the Lord. Understand the house of the Lord is in your soul. It's in your heart. Where is your heart? Where is your soul? Are you walking with comfort and peace and transcendency that you, that you just be overcome with whatever's going on, knowing that the Lord has it? Are you there? Are you not there? They just give an altar call for y'all, for us to come up. If your heart is not there, please come to the altar. That's all I got to say, Pastor. shepherd let's pray to him together heavenly father thank you for being our shepherd in the good times and the bad in the times when we're we're joyful and the times when we're broken thank you for the reality that in you God we have nothing to fear we have no reason to ever want God thank you for giving us a place of comfort and peace where we can rest in realizing that around us is all that we need God thank you that, that in life and in the face of death we have nothing to fear God, help us to live a life that, that demonstrates that there is nothing to fear. 
no matter what happens around us, no matter the chaos, that, that you calm our soul with your presence and with your salvation. God, we thank you that even in the presence of our enemies, again, we have nothing to fear. They look on and realize that they can do nothing to us because we belong to you. You've given us abundantly more as a church than we could ever deserve. And we rest in that comfort of knowing that our cup does run over. That we've been anointed, we are yours, we belong to you, you possess us, we are yours. And nothing can steal us from your hand. And now, and forevermore, we dwell in your presence. And we do so forever. Your house is our home. Your mercy is ours. And we thank you for it. And so as we worship this morning, lead us. Lead us into your presence and let our worship be found worthy of the God we serve. God, we belong to you. So give us grace and peace and truth this morning as we worship together and pray in Christ's name. Amen.
Father, we come to you in this moment, and we pray that those are not just lyrics to a song, but Father God, that they would be our true heart's cry. Father God, that we would truly feel that it is not about riches, it is not about man's empty praise, that the only thing that sustains us, that motivates us in this life is you. It's the inheritance that we know is there for us when we build upon your kingdom. Father God, we pray that this morning we would see your vision for our lives, Father God, that your truth and your plan for us would be laid out so clearly that we would just have no choice but to follow it. Father God, we recognize that there are so many times that we, we stray from what you truly want for us, that we do not follow your vision. But this morning, Father God, we pray that you would help us to reclaim that part of us for you. Father God, that you would tear down the, the walls that break or that, that, that keep us from being united in your spirit, Father God, living the life that you've chosen for us. And we pray that you would just take away the pride and take away our desire to be in control and to let you have the reins. This morning, Father God, we just love you. We worship you. We recognize that you are in control regardless of what situation is going on around us in our nation, in our own personal lives, Father God, in our family, Father God, we recognize that you are in control and we thank you for that security. This morning we pray that you would help us to, to be the people that you've called us to be, to, to follow the ways that you've called us to, to live, and Father God, to listen with hearts that desire change, hearts that desire your will. We just pray that you just be with Pastor Michael as he preaches. Let him say the things, Father God, that are from you, and let us hear the words that you need us to hear in our lives today. We thank you and we praise you, and it's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. I want to invite you to turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. As you're turning there, uh, Ned, thank you for that. I appreciate being obedient to what God had put on your heart. As you're turning to Acts chapter 9, a couple of things. Uh, I don't want to belabor the announcements, but uh, next Sunday we're going to start back with Sunday school. Um, it's going to be a, a little 
little different um, for adults. All adults uh, will be in here uh, during Sunday school to start right after this second service. And uh, um, we're going to use some kind of pre-made literature uh, just to have some continuity and uh, different uh, folks teaching. And so we've got a, a number of gifted teachers in the church and we'll be rotating through uh, with them. And uh, our youth will be having youth Sunday school and our kids having um, a kids Sunday school and, and their various classes. And uh, because we've rolled over a year and everything like that, we're going to try to reach out to everyone this week uh, with kids and let you know which class your child is in and that sort of thing. Uh, make sure of that, and we'll probably, at the end of the service, have all the kids stay in here for a moment and then go with your teachers uh, so that we make that clarity, because as you know, we've not had Sunday school in 10 months, uh, which is um, crazy to think. Um, we'll also be starting Children's Church next week. Uh, they'll be leaving right before the, the message, uh, and we're going to pick up where they left off uh, 10 months ago in their study material and going through. And then as Kenny mentioned, uh, beginning tonight, um, it's just been laid upon my heart that I need to be teaching um, um, the Bible more. And so uh, if you'd like to, to come and study the Bible with me, it'll be a very unique um, Bible study. We will be going through the Bible, uh, but looking at the Bible as God's story. And so there's a particular way we can do that. And so we'll be doing that each week. And um, uh, so uh, that'll be in here, and if you uh, would like to come and you have uh, children, uh, so if you have teenagers, um, you know, they either come in here or they stay at home. That's kind of how that'll work, but if you've got kids, uh, uh, there'll be opportunity for, for you to, to put them in the gym uh, with some child care, and they'll get to run some energy off, and, and we'll study uh, God's Word uh, here in the sanctuary. So I invite you to come and do that. And uh, we'll be starting in Genesis, and we'll be going through the Bible. Um, and so um, not, you know, every verse that's like 20 years. Um, we'll try to move a little quicker along than that, looking at some big themes there in the Bible. But it's kind of a non-ending thing, because we can always study the Bible. There's no ending to the study of God's Word. And so come and enjoy that on Sunday nights. Acts chapter 9, um, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. If you are able this morning, I do invite you to stand with me in reverence to God's Word as we read it together. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what, to, what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. 
Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarshish named Saul. And behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard about this man. I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard it were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem for those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Many days were passed. When many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. You may be seated. This is no doubt one of the most pivotal moments in the history of the church. And I do not think it is an exaggeration to say just that. Paul's conversion is one of the great miracles of the Bible. Here is a man who was a terrorist toward the church of Jesus Christ. He was intent on killing those who followed after Jesus. That is exactly why he came to the city of Damascus. That is exactly what he had asked the chief priest if he could do. He wanted to go and arrest anyone who was part of the church. Anyone who was part of what at this time was called the way. Anyone who was a part of Christianity, man or woman. He wanted to arrest them, return them to Jerusalem, and many of them no doubt would be killed while they were there. He had had no problem when the people picked up stones and killed Stephen. He was for it. He thought it a good idea. He was part of the persecution that had caused the church to be scattered from Jerusalem and scattered about everywhere. We're told that he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples. And yet he is wonderfully and powerfully converted to Christ. His life is changed on that road. And therefore, it is one of the great miracles of the Bible. The persecutor becomes the witness. 
The persecutor of Christ becomes the witness and the persecuted. His passion, no one could question. He wanted to do something great for God, and yet his passions are terribly misplaced. He thought what he was doing was something quite righteous. But the fact of the matter was, it was something very evil. He was doing what he believed was godly. And yet he was standing against God. And so Luke uses terminology similar to that from Psalm 27 in saying that he is breathing threats and murder against the disciples. But God powerfully changes Paul or Saul's life. So much so that that we know him by a different name. Because God radically transformed him. He changed his life. And in the process, he reveals to us how we should react to those who persecute us. The question I would ask you this morning, what does this this segment of Acts chapter 9 tell us about how we react, how we love those who hate us? It dawned on me as we were singing and as Ned was sharing that we're at a point in the history of the church, especially in the history of the church in our nation, where we have a government that does not care for the church. A government that possibly most in our history stands against the church. It's not ironic, that would be the word we would use if we did not believe that God was sovereign, but it seems ironic we would come to this passage today. And yet it does remind us that the world hates us because the world first hated Christ. And so, what does this tell us about loving those who hate us? Well, first we need to see the level of hate. And so we see first that Paul was the great persecutor of the church. We cannot miss that. That's where we begin. With the Apostle Paul still breathing threats and murder. He's, he's been doing so and he's continuing on. This man is a great persecutor and hater of the church. We, we can't understand this as some small conversion. Something tremendous has taken place here. His hatred is real. His hatred toward the church, his hatred toward Jesus is real and complete. One commentator I read compared it to this. What would happen if Osama bin Laden were to come to the United States and declare his love for America and his complete and utter repentance for the things that he carried out against our country? We couldn't begin to imagine that, right? We, we, it, it's not even fathomable to us. His, his doctrine, Osama bin Laden's doctrine, his, his worldview, his philosophy is so in contrast to our own, it, it would surely be impossible for him to come from where he is, or rather where he was, to, to, to loving our country. 
We couldn't imagine it. And for those of you old enough to remember the events of 20 years ago, you certainly could not imagine it. And yet, friends, that is what is taking place here. We, we do not need to see this. We should not. We cannot see this as some small worldview change. He was, he was here, and, and now he's, he's here, and it's, it's not that big of a difference. This man is a terrorist of the church. He is terrorizing the church, breathing threats and murder against the disciples. And unless we understand the contrast, we will never understand how far God brings him. If you think this is just some little thing, it will never impress you. But it must impress us. Because this man asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I want to go, he asked the chief priests. I want to go to Damascus. I want to find anyone who might be a Christian. I want to arrest them. I want to bind them. And I'm going to bring them back here and we will deal with them. That is who he is. And if we want to think about loving those who hate us, we need to be willing to love those who hate us this much. Not just a little bit. Not those who sort of disagree with us on some minor issues. Not just those that that maybe have a, a different philosophy than we do that they see the world a little bit differently than we do our calling in loving our neighbor is to love those who hate us thoroughly and completely god didn't make it easy in who we love you know, we think about the, the calling to love our neighbor and we say okay you know our neighbors Maybe they're kind of likable. You know, my, my new neighbors, one's an elderly couple, and, and they're, they're very nice. They let the kids come over and jump on their trampoline. My, my other neighbor on the other side, I went to, to his son's birthday party yesterday, and, and uh, he let me ride a go-kart. He's got a really awesome go-kart. And as some of the teenagers know, I really love driving go-karts. It freaked the kid out. This is a side note. I don't normally do these, but it really messed the kid up. When I drove out in my own yard, he forgot who I was. He said, we can't be driving in the party's yard. Now, it makes me happy about my neighbor. He's told his son that before, but I had to nudge him with my elbow and remind him that I could drive in the party's yard all I wanted, and I did. It's, you know, it's, it's not hard to love neighbors like that. You know, they're, they're who are nice to you, and they invite you for cake and ice cream. But Jesus also says that we've got to love our, our enemies. And that's where it gets harder. Or even in, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus gives us the example of loving our neighbor. The guy in the story is not the nice neighbor who gives you cake and ice cream. In the story, it's the Samaritan who loved his neighbor. The Samaritan who was the enemy of the man he was helping. 
The Samaritan who, who stopped and, and picked up the man who had been beaten and left, who takes him and puts him up where he can be cared for and pays for his expenses. He was the enemy of the guy that he was helping. They were enemies who wanted nothing to do with each other, and yet he was willing to help him. When we understand what it takes to love our neighbor, love those who hate us, it's understanding that we're loving the most vile, hateful people. That's our calling. We love them because they're made in the image of God and because God loves them. He loves them enough that He sent His Son to die in their place. How do we understand loving our neighbor? We understand first that Paul was the great persecutor of the church. But then we also understand second that Christ called the great persecutor of the church. Christ calls the great persecutor of the church. Verse 9 we pick up in or chapter 9, we pick up in verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. He's going on his way. He's on his way to carry out the deed of arresting Christians. He's going to arrest those who follow after the way. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Remember, he has rejected Jesus To him, Jesus is dead in the ground, and all of these men and women who are proclaiming him are liars. And yet then Jesus speaks out of the light. And just as we have seen God do on multiple occasions, when he repeats somebody's name twice, he has something important to say to you. Moses, Moses, or Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He calls him, and Saul doesn't know who's talking. He says, this is Saul talking, verse 5, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. Talk about a moment that Saul did not expect. Jesus, to him, is dead. Yeah, somebody stole his body out of that tomb, but he is not alive. He was crucified because he was a blasphemer and he is dead. And all of a sudden, out of the light, I am Jesus. Friends, that's all it took. For the chief, as Paul would later refer to himself in his writings, the chief among sinners. That's all it took for him to go from being the one who terrorized the church to the one who is a witness for Jesus. Now it wasn't an easy road and there was a long way to go, but it took that moment when Jesus called him. Why? Because that's the power of God. That's what he does. He calls sinners out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And that's exactly what takes place here. Christ called the great persecutor of the church. The man who was furthest away, it seemed. The man who would never convert. In fact, we're going to find that when Ananias is commissioned later on, he's like, I don't know about that. Do you know who this guy is? Do you know what this guy does? 
later on when Paul begins to preach, they go, wait a second, this is the guy, this is the guy that wants to arrest us. This is the guy who has come to, to persecute us, to, to, to prosecute us, to, to haul us down to Jerusalem and put us to death. What is he doing here? It was shocking. And yet he calls him. He says, you're going to go, you're going to rise and enter the city, and I'll tell you what to do there. He doesn't even give him the full instructions. All he has to say is, I am Jesus, who, are you, or who you are persecuting, and that's it. That's the call on his life. That's enough to change it. We, we think that, oh, if, if somebody is far from God, it's, it's going to be hard. We're going to have to work on them a long time. It's going, to take, it's going to take visit after visit. It's going to take message after message, sermon after sermon, Bible study after. It's going to take all of this. He's walking. He's walking and the light shines. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I am Jesus, who you're persecuting. Rise. Rise and go to the place that I will show you. Rise and go to the inner of the city, and you'll be told what you're to do. That wasn't a long conversation. It's because it's not about long conversations. It's about the power of Jesus. And in that moment when Jesus calls him, he radically changes this man who has been persecuting the church. Friends, this is a reminder to us. If we're going to love those who hate us, we can never give up on them because it only takes a moment You think about some of yourselves. Think about your own life. Think about where you were. There were probably times when maybe nobody thought you were going to come to Christ. Some of you, you've spent a long time as an enemy of God. Far from Him. Maybe you weren't persecuting His church, but you were certainly denying His name. You were living like the world wanted you to live. You were living in your sin. You were living the opposite of what God had called you to do. You are far from Him. Friends, it only takes a moment for God to call you. You know, it's very possible when Saul got to the, the, the place they had to lead him to, that he still had those papers with him from the high priest that gave him permission to arrest the believers. He hadn't, he hadn't set aside all the things that had caused him the problem. He hadn't set aside all the things that he thought about. It wasn't all gone, but God had saved him. Christ called the great persecutor of the church. This should give us hope for those who are far from God. You may know someone in your life right now who you know is far from God. They want nothing to do with God. They hate God. Friends, don't give up on them. Don't assume that God can't save them. If God can save Saul, who is outside of his reach? Friends, if God can save you and God can save me, who is outside of his reach? Absolutely no one. No one is outside of God's grace no one is too far gone from him Saul the great persecutor of the church is saved because Christ called him what happens next he, he gets up and he goes to the city he rises 
from the ground and he can't see. They led him by hand and they brought him to Damascus. And we read that for three days he was without sight and he neither ate nor drank. We read later that he is praying. He's waiting on what God has for him to do. And this is where a Christian comes in. We pick up in verse 10. This is our third point this morning. Christ called Ananias to love his persecutor. Who was Paul going to Damascus to arrest? Guys like Ananias. He was going to arrest guys like Ananias. People who followed Jesus. And yet, we find in these verses that Christ called Ananias to love his persecutor. How did he love him? Well, he loved him as he'd been commissioned. Look in verse 10. For, sorry, and now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And Ananias said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise. Go to a particular street, a street that's called Straight. Go to the house of a guy named Judas. Look for a man from Tarshish named Saul. That's pretty specific. You know exactly where he's supposed to go. For behold, he's praying. So you're going to go to a house. How many guys are going to be in that house named Saul from a town named Tarshish who are praying? One. You're going to find him. And he's seen a vision of you coming to him and laying hands on him so that he can see. What does he do? Now, there's a little haggling that goes on. I think it's natural. It's the type of haggling we would have done. Yeah, but God, wait a second. But what does he do? He goes and loves Saul as he'd been commissioned to do. Friends, that's the first step for us. If we're going to go to people who are far from God, people who are lost and do not know him, we're going to have to love them as we've been called to love them. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we just, we don't care who they are, what they've done? We don't care about their sin? It doesn't mean that. But it means we go to them and we love them no matter what. Now, the world out there will say, well, the only way you love people is to accept everything they've done. That's not the case at all. In fact, we can see Ananias is not terribly accepting. He's going to need to see some life change here. And yet, what has God called him to do? God called him to go to that street, to that house, to that man who was praying, and lay hands on him so that he can receive his sight. And he does exactly that. Friends, that's what we've been called to do. You realize there's a lot of people out there who are lost. I don't know if you knew this or not. People at your school, people at your work, people in your neighborhood, people who live across the street from you are lost. Some of them are lost and they know it and they're happy about it. They, they revel in it. Some of them are lost and they are very religious people. They are, they are exceptionally religious people. They even, some of them go to church. A lot of them don't go to church anymore because it's not that fashionable. But they, they believe in God. They got their Bible. They know some of it, but they're lost. Whatever it is, God has called you to love them. With all of his faults that Saul had, Ananias, in this vision, has Jesus come to him and say, go love on this man. And he does exactly that. 
He loved him as he was commissioned. He loved him in spite of Saul's reputation. We pick up in verse 13. But Ananias answered. We've got to be careful doing this to the Lord. Because your, your answer is supposed to be yes. Yes, Lord. But he answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here, talking about Damascus, here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He knows Saul's reputation. Saul's a bad dude. But he loves him anyway. How often do we let the reputation of people get in our way of loving them? Oh, they're, they're not very nice. They're hateful to people. Oh, they just bounce around churches. You know what people who bounce around churches need? Often it's to be loved by people who love Jesus. Oh, they, they're not faithful to their spouse. Oh, they're, they've got a bad relationship with their kids. Oh, they're, they're, into, they're into alcohol real bad. That's, that's what they worship. Oh, the, the drugs, you know, the drugs have got them. They're, they're, they're drug addicts. You can't trust them. You can't do anything with them. Saw the reputation of uh, killing people. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, we've talked about some bad stuff. You know, my list is pretty bad. I... He's got a reputation of killing people who, who do what Ananias does. He's got a reputation of killing people who love Jesus. That's a pretty bad reputation. A lot of justification for saying, but, but Lord, I've heard, not just from one guy, but from many people, what this guy does. But he goes anyway. Are we willing to, to set aside someone's reputation? And friends, a lot of times the reason people have reputations is because it's true. They didn't get that. You know, it's not like a bunch of people got together and said, we're going to give this person a bad reputation for this. A lot of times those reputations are accurate. There's a certain amount of truth in them. Ananias commits himself to going to this man despite his reputation. Why? Because God told him to. And God has called us to go. And so are we willing to go despite someone's reputation? They're not going to listen to you. They don't care what you have to say. They're never going to follow God. They're, they're never going to come to church. Their, their life's never going to be turned around. It's just a mess and it's always going to be a mess. Are we willing to say... I don't care about your reputation. God has called me to love you. And so what does this lead to? He, again, Christ has called Ananias to love his persecutor. So he's loved him as he's commissioned. He's loved him despite Saul's reputation. And then what does he do? Well, actually, he aids in Saul's work. Look what happened. But the Lord said to him, verse 15, Go... 
For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so what do we read next? So Ananias departed and entered the house. Saul's commission, the guy we know as Paul, his, his job is going to be to go suffer for Jesus. And so Ananias goes to help him with his work. He goes in, he comes into the house, and he says, Brother Saul, what a comforting word that must have been. What a shocking word that must have been. He hasn't been your brother, he's been your murderer. He's been your persecutor. He's been the guy that hated you. He had come to this town to arrest you and haul you back to Jerusalem. And he walks in because what God has done in his life, he walks in and he says, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he rose and he was baptized, which I love this. He was baptized before he ate. Before he went and ate, he hadn't eaten in several days, remember this. Before he went and ate, he was baptized. Because everything has changed. He is no longer who he was. He has been made new. Then he took food and he was strengthened. And for some days he was with the disciples in Damascus. They began to teach and invest in his life. Ananias knows that he has been commissioned. This man named Saul, who we under, know as Paul, he has been commissioned to go do something great for God. And Ananias pours his life into making sure that happens. He teaches this man. This man, Saul, was smarter than any of the guys he was talking to, no doubt. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He had learned from the best. He knew the Bible inside and out. But he had to be reprogrammed because he once hated Christ. He once fought against the church, and now he was going to be a preacher of the church. So Ananias helped. If you see someone come to Christ who is far from him, do you then take the initiative to make sure that that man or that woman knows what they are doing? It'd be great if all the drug addicts in Eichard showed up and gave their life to Christ this morning and we baptized them and we found seating for them here in the midst of the pandemic. That's become very easy to do. But what happens if you just put them and leave them? What happens if you just bring them in and sit them down? Because guess what? A lot of the drug addicts in Eichard, the drunks in Eichard, the fornicators in Eichard aren't coming in here with the knowledge that Saul had. They're not coming here knowing the Bible back and forth, being able to recite hundreds and hundreds of verses of Scripture like Saul could do. I wonder sometimes if, if we're not ready to see people saved because we're not ready to do what comes after. Because it's easy, right? It's easy to welcome someone to the front. It's, it's easy to fill this thing up and, and heat it up and, and get people in and, and go. That's Friends, that's... We can all celebrate that and cheer and we can clap and, and take pictures. But friends, it's the after. It's the after. They spend many days with this man. 
He is with the disciples at Damascus. And when he is with them in Damascus, it prepares them to then proclaim Christ. Ananias dedicates himself to preparing Paul for what was ahead. Are we ready to do that? Are we investing in people, pouring our lives into people, sharing with them about what the Bible has said, teaching them, finding someone who doesn't, isn't as far along on the spiritual journey as we are, and, and investing in their life so that they would know Christ? Because this is what can happen. Verse 20, the fourth thing we see, Paul became the persecuted witness for Christ. Paul became the persecuted witness for Christ. Remember, he started out as the persecutor, breathing hatred and lies and murder and malice against the church. Now he becomes the one who is the witness who is persecuted. Verse 20, he immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. What a shocking statement this had to be coming from Paul's mouth. Here's the man who would lock you up if you said Jesus is the son of God. Here's the man that would stone you to death if you said Jesus is the son of God. And he stands up in the synagogue and says, Jesus is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem for those upon a who called upon this name. They're, they're shocked. Remember, we're a long way from Jerusalem now. Some of those events may not have been as clear. But they knew one thing. If you talked about Jesus, this man would arrest you. And now this man is talking about Jesus. He begins to proclaim constantly. They're all amazed. In fact, verse 22 says, He increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He becomes what we call an apologist for the faith. He is standing up and proclaiming loudly, Jesus is the Son of God, and here is why. And so the hatred turns toward Him. Verse 23 tells us that when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But the plot became known, and he was able to escape. Remember, Jesus had said he would suffer. He would suffer for his name. The, pro, the persecutor had become the witness. The persecutor had become the witness who stood boldly and said, Jesus is the Son of God. And it would eventually cost him everything. Ananias was faithful. Faithful when it was dangerous to be so. Faithful when it was difficult to be so. He was faithful to God. He went to a man who wanted him dead just a few days before. And he loved him. He loved him as God had called him to love him. He loved him. He loved him even though the reputation said, this is not a guy you want to be around. He loved him enough to help prepare him for the ministry that was ahead. Ananias will, will fade into history after this, but Paul will become the great preacher and teacher of the church, the great missionary who plants churches all over the known world. So I want to challenge you with this. 
This morning, will you fulfill your commission to love your neighbor? Will you fulfill the calling that God has placed on all of us, just like he did to Ananias, to to go to the man who nobody wanted to love? To go to the man who seemed to be the furthest from Christ? To go to the man who had a reputation that was, was beyond any other? To go to a man who had come to that city with paperwork that said he could arrest you and put you to death? Are we willing to love? Are we willing to think this morning and realize this morning that those who persecute you and me may be part of God's plan to accomplish much for his kingdom? That the the neighbor you have that you have never been able to get along and he or she hates your guts and they throw junk in your yard and you just can't get along with them, that God God may want to do something great with them for his kingdom. That there may be some kid in your school who, who their life is a mess. They're never going to amount to nothing. But God, God's going to raise them up to be the next preacher who leads our country into revival. He's calling you to, to go to them and love them because nobody else will. Maybe there's the member of your family that they're far from God. They, 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 they hate God. But God's wanting to use you to love them so that they're in the kingdom of glory and not spending an eternity away from Him in a place called hell. The person who nobody wants to be around because their reputation precedes them. It's before them and it's on the sides of them and it's after them and there is nothing good about it. But God has a a plan where he would do something wonderful in their life. And they would one day take the gospel to people in other countries who have never heard the word of God. Now see, the danger of that is you looking and saying, okay, they're never going to amount to anything, so that's not who the preacher is talking about. Oh, they're not going to be a missionary, so he definitely wasn't talking about them. Friends, the reality is that our God desires to save people. He desires to save those made in His image. And He uses believers like you and like me and like Ananias to accomplish that very purpose. And if we sit back and say, well, this person's never going to believe or this person is never going to trust in Him, Friends, we don't know what God is going to do. But God is calling upon us to be faithful. And I want you to think about it like this. God may be calling you to do a lot more than you are doing. God may be calling you to share His Word with people who are far away. God may be calling you to teach His Word to people who have never heard it. We have no idea in the the economy of God's kingdom, in, in a kingdom that is eternal, we have no idea what is going to happen when we are faithful, but God calls us to be faithful anyways. 
There's an image online, and it's, it asks the question, do you know this certain preacher, and it's somebody never heard of before. But then they talk about how under his preaching, this certain man was saved. And how under his preaching, this certain man was saved. And then you start getting the names you recognize, and how under his preaching, this man was saved. And how under his preaching, this man was saved. And then you come to, you get to the end point of, of this image online, and the, and the end point is Billy Graham, and all of a sudden everybody knows his name. But it didn't start there. It started because way, 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 way back over here, this guy who nobody's ever heard of, who is a nobody. And yet, how would we ever imagine that, that this man in God's economy would be a nobody when the end of the chain is this man under which thousands and thousands and thousands were saved? Friends, we can look around us and say, oh, we've got empty seats or there aren't many people here and yet we were this this man here preached to to one particular person and millions have heard the gospel because of it one man named ananias who who if you're asking a lot of people in the bible they might think that it's the the other guy ananias that got killed because he was unfaithful and yet it's this guy who decided to to obey god and go to the man who might kill him and lay hands on him and call him brother and preach the good news to him and help prepare him for the ministry that god had for him are you willing this morning to fulfill the commission that God has put in your life to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your enemy, and to go to people with poor reputations and love them and share with them the good news. Are you willing this morning to fulfill the commission that God has placed in your life to love your neighbor into the kingdom of God? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just ask this morning that you would, God, you would just push us and urge us to be obedient to your call. God, there are so many far from you. I would ask this morning, God, that we we do not lose sight of that reality. In the midst of pandemics and political unrest and whatever else is going on, that we not lose sight of the fact that there are myriads and myriads and myriads of people who do not know you. They are here close by and they are spread out to the ends of the earth. God, I would just ask that you would help us to be faithful. Each person here, not worried about their giftedness, not worried about what they're best at, but committed, each and every one, to loving the people around them, loving them toward the kingdom, Loving them in spite of all the reasons they might have not to. Loving them because they are made in your image. Worthy 
of hearing your good news and desperately in need of salvation. God, I pray that each one of us, each one of us would be characterized by love. Each one of us would be characterized by, God, the commitment, the commitment you have made to us and the commission that you have put on our life. Help us as we go from this place to share your good news with the world that so desperately needs it. And help us to do it even today as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we sing this final song. I want to encourage you that, one, if you don't know Christ, today is the day to turn from your sin and to follow Him. Today is the day to know Him because He has offered you life everlasting, life full and free, life that none of us deserve, but life that He gives us freely. Friends, if you do know Him, are you taking seriously the calling God has put on your life to go and love people who are far from Him? If not, friends, forget about the past, forget about last week, forget about yesterday, today, this week, The weeks and months ahead is our time to go to a world that desperately needs Christ and share with them about how much we love Him. Will you commit to that? Whether you need to come here to the front or where you're standing, will you commit to loving others toward the kingdom as we sing this song together? I'm glad that you came out to worship this morning and just pray that as we go, uh, we would just be renewed in that commitment uh, to love people who are far from God. They're going to be the hardest to love. They'll be the ones that may seem the most different than you are. 
And yet we know they desperately need the Lord. And we love them because God has called us to love them toward the kingdom. And so we do that rejoicing. I want to remind you, I'd love for you to come study God's Word tonight, 6 o'clock, um, here in the sanctuary. And uh, also remember on Wednesday nights, uh, we're having uh, supper there between 5.30, 5.45. You could come as late as 6 and still get supper. Um, and then adult Bible study and youth and kids. We have 55 people on Wednesday night here uh, for, uh, for Bible study and for youth and kids. And so love to have you come out. And uh, again, uh, Wednesday nights are really focused on prayer and praying for people uh, who are lost, people who are hurting, uh, people who are sick, um, and then also uh, studying about prayer and, and just helping to improve our prayer lives. So our adult studies about that, youth and kids, I invite you to those as well. So I want to pray for us and we'll be dismissed. I hope you have a blessed week and I hope you'll take time to love someone who's far from God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and truth. We thank you that you love us, that you've given us hope. As we go, God, I just pray that you continue to watch over us. God, help us to be faithful to your word, faithful to your kingdom, faithful to the calling that you've placed in our life. God, anyone here who, who has felt called, God, I pray that you would call them out. God, that you would give them the desire to follow you. God, that you would help them to be faithful in that calling. And God, we know you've called all of us to love those who are far from you. So God, I pray that we would be faithful in that as we go throughout this week and pray this in Christ's name. Amen.